We're back. All right, Kelsey. So um, I had a little technical issue there, so we had to cut that around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to thank our corporate partners to make the show a reality. Who, who's the folks? Nick Steva and Rissy Bank. Good. We'll give you more details on them in just a little bit. Uh, Daniel Fagella. Let's talk about this guy. Yeah. CEO and founder of Tech Emergence, the only market research and company discovery platform focused exclusively on artificial intelligence and machine learning. He's the previous founder and CEO of an Inc. 500 uh, e-commerce company. 5,000. Oh, Inc. 5,000. Okay. But he was in the top 500, I heard. Uh, it's called the science of skill. I'm in the belief, this is Daniel speaking, I'm in the belief that the most important ethical considerations of the coming 30 years will be the creation or expansion of sentience and intelligence in technology. And when we saw that, we're like, Daniel, you got to come back on the show and you got to explain <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Daniel, welcome to the show, brother. Glad to be back, Mike. Cool to be here with you guys. Oh, it's awesome to have you back. And, you know, artificial intelligence is clearly the future and it's so misunderstood. It's, it's what, what are people, what do people think is true, which is far from true? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely of the belief that the the long term sort of concerns of AI are a big deal. Um, but in in many ways, the short term of AI is kind of plodding along progress. Uh, and so I think there's kind of two camps right now in the business world. There's the people who really kind of think it's all impossible and silly unless you're Amazon or Google. Uh, and then there's the people who think um, everything plus AI is a more valuable version of that thing um, when in fact AI can't can't do much of it at all. So I think it's it's a, a matter of not having a nuanced understanding of of what AI can actually do and either thinking it's the greatest or it's the worst. Uh, and both of those are, are certainly wrong. Well, let's define what is AI exactly, besides the words artificial intelligence. What yeah. does it really mean? Um, so uh, broadly speaking these days, Mike, when people say AI, the reason you and I are talking about it, for example, um, is mostly because of the branch of AI called machine learning, which has become – uh, prominent in terms of its business applications in, let's say, the last four or five years, really. Uh, and well, we could even argue that really it's only been in the last two or three years. Uh, so machine learning is the idea of instead of, let's let's say, old school AI, Mike, where uh, how, how we made machines smart, which is broadly what we mean by artificial intelligence, having machines do what humans used to do, uh, you know, complex tasks humans used to do. The old way to do this was to hard code a set of rules. Okay, well, if this happens, then do this. And if this happens, then do that. And, you know, to some degree, we consider that to just be software now. I mean, that's that's kind of what we think about. Um, machine learning is the ability to train a machine, a uh, very, very specific sort of kind of uh, neural network, so to speak, on uh, many, many instances of something uh, within a business, whether it's instances of fraudulent payments, instances of malignant tumor images, uh, instances of you know high customer lifetime value customers, for example, um, and allow machines to make inferences, judgments, and predictions that used to require human beings. So when we say, what is machine learning? It's really the ability for machines to uh, learn from past instances as opposed to having to be programmed from scratch. That's the big revolution here. That's a big revelation here. And broadly, that's where most of the exciting business applications lie. So, Daniel, is, is a machine basically writing its own if-then statements? Is it writing its own rules? Yeah. You know, um, it, it's actually even harder to explain than that. Okay. So, in, in this case, uh, the machine actually isn't writing really any if-then statements at all. And in fact, most, let's say, neural networks have no ability to explain or understand what they're doing. So if, for example, Mike, 
um, I'm a, uh, I'm a machine and you give me a million images of tumors and you, you label which ones are malignant and, and which ones, uh, are, uh, non-malignant, you know, benign or whatever. Right. So, so you give me, you give me a million images, half benign, half, half malignant. Um, as a machine, I'm not actually looking at colors. I'm not actually looking at uh, shapes. What I'm looking at is a series of ones and zeros because all those pixels are some tiny mm. permutation of color within a tiny space, and that's just being read off as ones and zeros. So when I'm looking at quote-unquote commonalities of images as a computer, uh, in, in the case of machine learning, for the most part, uh, the vast majority of applications, I'm not. I'm not really – uh, in any way, identifying oh these have the same shape or this this sort of darkening is is very similar. Th- there's none of that acknowledgement. Darkening, lightening, none of those things uh, are are kind of clicking in the quote unquote brain of the computer. I'm just finding patterns in the ones and zeros, and we don't really know if that's darkening. We don't really know if that's the angle of these curves. We don't really know if that's a color combination. And so a machine might be able to make a pretty good prediction, one that's better than humans. But unlike humans, in many cases, machine learning is unable to tell you why, because these if-thens are not really being determined. Rather, ones and zeros are being drunken in, in a way that's very different than human thought. Uh, and so for for that case, there is a, a a challenge with the interpreta- interpretability of these systems, which is a big, big problem for machine learning in general. doesn't stop Amazon and Google and these guys from leveraging it in a very powerful way, but sure does make it hard for, let's say, a doctor to use it if you have to explain to a patient why you're giving them a certain treatment. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that's interesting is um, the acceptance of artificial intelligence. You know, One application, of course, is in autonomous cars, cars driving themselves. Yep. And... I was just in Vegas. I think it was last week, Kels. Mm-hmm. I was out there for an event, and I, I use Lyft, whatever, you know, Uber competitor, and it's like, oh, yeah. would you accept an autonomous car? I'm like, yeah, no problem. I told my my brother-in-law was over, and was talking with him and my sister and their family, and I'm like, oh, it's an autonomous car. And they're like, I would never do that. And, really? and that's the response of most people. Like, I would never sit in the back seat. Mm-hmm. That's so dangerous. Yet, statistically, already these autonomous cars have proven to be safer drivers, and they're just in the neophyte stage of developing this technology. Why why is it, Daniel, that's, that mankind, people, are so resistant, in some aspects, to artificial technology? Yeah, um, artificial you know, uh, yeah, AI in general. Um, it's a good question. I think there's, in my opinion, there's kind of two categories of that fear. So there, there, are, there are types of that fear that I think won't go away. And there are types of that fear that I think we can suspect very much will go away. And I'll explain what I mean. Um, let's talk about, you know, uh, airplanes. We don't even really need AI involved in this. We'll just talk about airplanes. Um, you know, if it's 19, I don't know, 1919 or something, uh, if you fly in an airplane, yeah, you're you're some kind of weird, wacky daredevil guy. Uh, because, it, well, to be honest, back then they ju- they frankly weren't that safe. I mean, today an airplane is, is you know the safest way to travel, mm-hmm. um, but they they weren't all that safe. Uh, but also, there's just the fact that you're actually up in the air, and that's really weird as a human being. Like, like you're you're doing things that naturally incite fear. Uh, today, though, um, I think. Many of us are in airplanes so frequently, and everybody we ever met, for the most part, has been on airplanes, and they're still alive. Uh, and so, there's reason to suspect that you know that that kind of fades away. You know, for for our grandparents, the idea of ten year olds having iPhones is 
is the most tragic sin in the world, but for a 10 year old, it's just the most normal thing in the world. So there, there's kind of two aspects of this mm. to, to one degree, when these technologies become more and more commonly used, I think much of it, and in fact, I might argue the vast majority of AI applications will become as normal as tech is today, which we should all understand is not normal if you just got transported from 1920. Uh, it's it's mind-blowing and confusing if you got transported from, from 1920. Uh, but to us, it's very normal. So for the most part, that's going to happen. However, Mike, there will be instances where there's still a thing that naturally we fear. And Flying up in the air in a metal tube is a thing that people can still fear, even if you know statistically it's safe. Also, handing over control for something that, you know, admittedly does involve danger uh, to a machine may not fade entirely. I think overall, self-driving cars will be much safer, assuming that that, that the technology continues to improve and, and adoption kind of kicks in, uh, which which I think we can suspect in, in the decade and a half ahead. Um, but there will always be some fear. So I think most of it will evaporate, but anything where there's visceral danger uh, or visceral kind of, you know, it, could, it could be danger with our finances, danger with our physical bodies, whatever, there probably always will be a bit of a tinge to, man, I'm letting the machine do this. Uh, but, but for the most part, Mike, I think adoption is just going to just swoop on by. Uh, and we're just going to accept it the same way we do the internet, the same way we do iPhones, uh, the same way we do, you know, automobiles as they are today. People used to be nervous that we weren't riding horses anymore. I was going to ask in, in the near future, what industry do you think will be most impacted by AI in terms of taking over, uh, human jobs? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, 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 uh, tough, tough call there. Um, now this is a different question than what industry will be applying AI the most pound for pound? That's that's a question I also like. And, and these answers are kind of different. Um, if we talk about like automation potential, uh, it, you know, if I were a betting man, and, and uh, I'm not really uh, a, a betting man, but if I were a betting man, we've done a lot of interviews on this space. Um, and and uh, domains where, um, so what, I, what I'll articulate is two things. I, I want, because I don't want to come across like I'm a, prognosticator, like, oh, yes, why these jobs will fade away. Instead, what I think would be helpful would be to say, here are the qualities of jobs that won't be automated soon. And then by me doing that, uh, I'll also kind of tee up maybe a few categories that that feel like the lowest hanging fruit, if that's an acceptable way to totally. answer your question. Okay. So um, tons and tons of interviews. So I, I did a TEDx uh, at the University of Rhode Island less than a year ago here, and just, just Dan Fagella and Google will pull it up. But it, it's about, it's really crappy. They, they left the title just artificial intelligence. I gave them a title. I was like, it's about the three factors for job security in an age of artificial intelligence. And they were like, yep, we're just going to call the title of your video artificial intelligence. Nice. Super unfortunate. Nice job, guys. Uh, God bless them. But anyway, so- uh, Not bitter, uh, not bitter. Yeah, not bitter at all. Yeah, I don't go to sleep with just just seething anger in my heart at all. <laughs> not, not, a, not not about that. Trust me. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, it's my alma mater. You know, I got love for him, but I was just a little bit sad about that because no one knows what the hell the thing's about when they click on it. Regardless, um, it's it's one of four four TED talks up there that I've I've got on the site. But uh, I went back and, and looked at. I mean, we do multiple interviews every single week with experts in all kinds of industries, and there's always questions around what facets are getting automated and optimized. And looking across patterns from the last two and a half years of interviews, 
Um, and we've been doing them for five, but doing a deep dive in, in the last while, um, really one of the biggest kind of commonalities for what will make a job secure are the following. Uh, one of them is uh, sort of ability to, to do uh, connection and cooperation. So for example, if you manage people and if kind of high touch personal tact is extremely important in your job and you're very good at it, machines are highly unlikely to take your job. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, managing a sales team where you have different personalities, different motivators for different people, different kinds of, uh, you know, touchy points and prickly points for people, different kinds of goals you're setting for different people and ways to interact with them. Um, that would be a position that involves a lot of tact. If you are a sales guy and you're, you're closing big B2B accounts, you got to talk to executives, you got to smooth talk someone at the front counter. These kind of things are, are not going to be that kind of trust building, that kind of high touch is is not going to be machinable anytime soon. But we don't even have to stay white collar. Uh, We also talk about connection and collaboration or or connection cooperation. Um, You know, uh, a preschool teacher does a lot of that, does a lot of both of those. Now, we're not talking about running a huge, you know, manufacturing operation as a manager that, that, that's very different than, than running a classroom. But still, you, you got to be able to cooperate. You got to be able to relate. And, and you also have to be able to care and have kind of that resonance and empathy. So as a nurse, as a teacher, uh, almost nobody is bullish on, on, on uh, or, or um, yeah, almost no one is bullish on those jobs being, being evaporated anytime soon. So high cooperation, high mm. connection. Uh, if they're critical for your job and if you're damn good at them, then it's likely you're going to keep your role. There's some jobs where you don't need to be good at connection, right? If you're a checkout clerk, yeah, it's nice if you can talk people up. But to be honest, if that's not critical as a KPI for, for your role, if it's not honestly, if somebody who, who can't smooth talk can also check out items at the front desk, uh, then, um, you know, it's not necessarily something that's going to keep your security. So if it's critical for the role and you're damn good at it, cooperate or uh, collaboration and, and connection, then then you're safe. Is that concept click? I got one more for yeah. you. Oh, it landed. Yeah. Okay, sweet. So machines are not going to be owning the trust and the tact uh, that that a that a, a person can in roles where that's critical. A second thing is what I refer to as context. This is a broader concept, but I'm going to explain what it is. And this is, in my opinion, this is a, a This is a hard one and piercing insight from many, 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 many dozens of interviews with the likes of people at, you know, exec level people at, at, you know, Facebook and DeepMind and you name it, um, kind of talking about what's automatable, what's not. Here's what I mean. Um, High uh, context and low context roles. Um, High context roles require knowledge uh, about aspects of the business and aspects of the world that are pretty desperate, pretty spread out. Low context roles imply almost no knowledge of anything outside of the inputs you get, the work you do right in front of your face, and the output that you push out the other side. So let's talk about two low context roles, one in white collar, one in blue collar. A low context role in white collar might be like an auditor. So what you do is you get financial statements, only certain varieties of financial statements. You comb through them and do a certain kind of reporting and assessment and double checking and verification in a specific order and way. And then you push it along to, you know, uh, whoever, you know, whoever that, 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 you know, paper goes to in the auditor flow, uh, next in line, more or less. I'm not saying auditor is, is a, not a respectable job. I'm not saying it's not occasionally a high paying job. I'm just saying, if all you knew was you sat down, you had no idea what the heck was going on, and you, you got that paper in front of you, you need your input, you need to know the work you do, and then you push it out. All right. So, um, 
Uh, sorry, you want to say go something ahead. else? Uh, well, I was going to go into um, kind of what a higher context version of that would be to contrast it. But if you've got a question, hit me. So, yeah, I do have a question for you because I want to uh, translate this mm. into marketing. So, Oh, great. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, we kind of talked about the where artificial intelligence is going, the, the potential resistance that people have um, to it, and the exuberance for it too. But I think everyone on this listening to this podcast can maybe apply it to marketing, and, and that's your specialty. So yeah. how does it apply? Just give us yeah. all the details there. Sure, sure. So um, uh, it, um, would, it, would it be okay? So I'm happy to go into applications in marketing. Do you want me to cover this kind of automatable, not automatable, like in terms of a job role thing in marketing, or just move into the application? Let's just do the application, I think. Okay, sure, sure, yeah, sure. Just sure. our, so, our time um, here. I want to get that. I want to get yeah, some yeah, juicy no, no problem at all. Thing. So in terms, of, in terms of the application space uh, within within marketing. Um, there's there's going to be a whole bunch of different domains, but most important thing to point out here, uh, Mike, is that the businesses that will use this yeah. first, okay, not necessarily forever, but first, are the businesses with the most digital footprint for their marketing and sales efforts. What do I mean? Yeah. I mean this. If you are mailing out paper and if you are going to people's uh, you know, offices and, and you know, bringing them, uh, uh, you know, a wine bottle and having a conversation, those are not wrong ways to do marketing, but they are very hard to track digitally and to train a marketing machine on. Gotcha. Um, so, so the businesses that are most likely to leverage marketing first are going to be the online and brick and mortar kind of uh, retail folks and the online media folks where almost all the touch points of how to get someone's interest, how to retain their interest, how to bring them back to the page, how to get them to add something to cart, how to get them something to buy and track them over time and look at customer lifetime value. All of that is in a digital system and, and relatively easy to see. Makes sense. Those are the people that are going to see this stuff first. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we can talk about where within marketing if you'd like. Yeah. So I want. Yeah. So so it's interesting. Last week uh, we were talking with with a or a couple of weeks ago now we were talking with a group that explained how the funnel works, how to collect all this digital data. We ourselves here at our office, a lot of our listeners, we've collected email addresses, contact information, but that's not AI. That's just that's just data. No. How does AI apply? Like, how do we leverage it? And can we start leveraging it today? Do, do we yep, have a yep. lot? So, uh, two really important things. So, I'm going to get into where AI is going to intersect with the marketing role, like what aspects it's going to okay. bring value. And, and that's actually based off of 50 different executive interviews with people who are building companies around AI and marketing. So, it's, it's kind of the, the practitioners in the field. It's more than my opinion. It's it's sort of the the broad categories from from the experts who are kind of you know, sitting on the cutting edge here. Um, but in terms of can you apply it, this is, this is a, and, and I'll make sure to, to reference that, that research so people can check it out. Um, but in terms of if you can apply it, the answer is going to be yes, if, and I can okay. tell you that yes, if, Mike. Is this an if-then statement? Yes, I am an algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, the, the answer is yes, um, if vendor solutions can make themselves accessible to small businesses like like you and I. So right now, Mike, okay, the state of the of the art right now in terms of AI and marketing solutions is that many kind of online media and e-commerce oriented businesses can apply artificial intelligence, can use, let's say, a vendor company for for artificial intelligence. But for the most part, Mike, it's it's very high touch and it has to be with larger businesses. Let me explain why, let's say, Target or Wayfair or Harley Davidson or something is much more likely to use machine learning than, than a small business. Um, it's mostly because the volume of data required 
in order to be able to train an algorithm to judge who's a high life, who's a high lifetime value customer, gotcha. um, what offer can we test and rotate in, in front of those people? The volume we need to train a system to get those incremental improvements um, to see an ROI is it is much higher than most people would wish it is. Gotcha. And so for that reason, most of the vendors in this space, Mike, are very high touch, very expensive, and very much outside the reach of most small businesses, um, although gradually that is changing. I can, I, can, I can either talk about what they're doing with the big boys, or I can talk about how it's going to change and become accessible to me and you. Um, where do you want to go? I want to go with the me and you, because you know, our listeners are small business. We want to compete with the big guys. I'm interested and intrigued how they're doing, but I really want to know how's this going to impact us when we can jump on it, stuff like that. Yeah, can you can you actually still hear me here, Mike? Yeah, I can, yeah. Still, can, can you just, still hear us? Yeah, it got a little bit like underwater. Yeah, that's that's um, our system is is well, what our system does is it analyzes your voice as you're talking. We're collecting this data. It's artificial intelligence. <laughs> We're going to replace Kelsey with that you. That was an interesting. Oh, damn it! You're going to okay. You're going to replace <laughs> that was Kelsey an interesting with my voice. Comment. Sweet. Thank you, Daniel. You now work for nice, us. We own nice. you. Damn it! I've been, I know, I've been absorbed. I know. I've been absorbed into the mic board, been. and all I did was show up to the darn podcast for crying. I'm out sorry. Loud. We can only okay. pay you five dollars an hour. Thank you. Ah! <laughs> so. So what have I roped myself into? Okay, so so how does it become accessible to small yes. businesses? This is critical, Later. ready? Okay, so here we go. So the way that these technologies will become accessible to small businesses is mostly through these vendors getting a lot of traction with kind of the mid-tier and the larger tier. I'll explain what I mean, okay? So there's vendors like, let's say, there's a company called Persado that helps do kind of copywriting edits for companies to create more high converting, let's say, email subject lines or, or landing pages or things like this, okay? Um, when a company like Persado, which right now involves a lot of data, a lot of experts, a lot of integration time, a lot of money, frankly, Mike, a lot of money to work with Persado. You're not going to work with them as a small business generally. Um, when they work with, let's say, 400 different fashion companies, mm -hmm. okay? When they work with 400 fashion companies selling to women, what's going to happen, Mike, is they're going to understand the possibility space of subject lines, landing pages, page design, etc. Yeah. within women's fashion, yeah. and hypothetically, a small women's fashion business. Now, this isn't any business. It's a women's fashion business. This is still pretty narrow, but a smaller business, instead of needing to say, okay, Persado, I have reams and reams of data for you to train on. Instead, they can say, hey, Persado, I know you have already trained on reams of data to sell dresses, necklaces, mm. and shoes to women between 20 and 40. That's what I do too. I want you to just hit me with the already amalgamated kind of general best practices from the, what the algorithms have picked up with your other clients that are similar to me. Now, that is how the, the machine learning idea, the, the machines taking in instances and making judgments, the only way that's going to become accessible to us little guys with little bits of data is when it gets trained on the people with big data who yeah, are very yeah. similar to us and then we suck up those best practices and leverage the same damn algorithms. What, that's going to take time, but that's going to be the trajectory of these technologies. Love it. What about Watson? Like, so there's always commercials. That you can get access to Watson for free. So I, I tinkered around. It's like, upload your data and then I'll tell you the questions you can ask me. Um, yeah. So what about that technology? Do do? Is that just a, right now kind of a, a, a toy or is it, it, um, is it valuable? Yeah. So, okay. Good, good question. Uh, everybody in the startup space is going to hate on Watson because IBM is a big guy. And when you're a startup, you always have to present yourself as better than the big guy. Um, but also because 
I think in a bit of an unfortunate way, they've really put everything under this umbrella of Watson. Um, they've got all kinds of different analytics and NLP and other things that, that basically everything that they're calling AI gets thrown under this umbrella. Mm. And you see kind of their visualization of what is, what is Watson. Um, and it's like, you know, a flow chart with a, a bajillion different things. And it's kind of, some people feel like it's them rehashing and kind of connecting, you know, the back ends of like a bajillion of their other services and then calling it all AI. And so what is, you know, when you say, what do you think about Watson? Unfortunately, kind of because of the way that they framed things, um, I don't even know where to start with that because I don't know what part of it you mean. Um, I, I presume you're talking about like the demoable, you don't have to be an AI programmer to yeah, try us out exactly kind of stuff I mean. that they do. I, yeah. yeah. So, yep. Yep. So what does that mean right now? Well, what what's going on there is uh, they are aiming to figure out how to get uh, us kind of little folks to tinker around with and garner value from their solutions. Here's some things that Watson could be usable for. Now, to say that anybody with a fifth grade education could jump in and use it would be a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, but to say that that you know, a, a, let's say somewhat technical person could get some reasonable value out of it, I think would be truthful. Um, there's some things around like basic sentiment analysis that I believe kind of Watson can do. So you can, mm. you can take, uh, you know, reams of, let's say, blog posts or emails, and you can get a sense of what are the angry ones? What are the happy That's ones? Cool. What are the, what are the, and then, and then um, what are the angry ones that involve this company's name? And what are the angry ones that involve this other company's name or this person's name, for example? And we can maybe sort through some of our data in a little bit uh, of an easier way. But but NLP, Mike, in that broad sense, let's say sentiment or identifying individual words, yeah. you'll notice that that's not necessarily something bespoke to every company. If you train a system on the English language, right. um, you can upload something and do that because it's, it's such a broad insight. So I think what Watson's doing for small business is a fun way – to show people that you can tinker with with AI and and you can do kind of some fundamental stuff, um, to turn that into consistent and robust business value is really not the same thing. And right now involves a lot more hands-on work with people who are more formally trained in data science and, and involves, frankly, uh, a lot more data and insight than I think most small businesses can muster at least today. So maybe that's the future, but maybe not now. Like, I'm thinking like sometimes I get an email from someone and it could say in the notes, like, you suck, right? So that sounds like it's very negative. You suck. I hate your business. But it also could be, you suck. That gift blew me away. I would have never done the same for you, which is actually a compliment, right? right? right. Yeah. And it sounds yeah. like the software is not sophisticated yet enough to distinguish that. Um, uh, maybe you, you, you're, you're right to suspect that if you had a lot of instances of exactly that, it may not, uh, do well. If you had a lot of strange, anomalous, colloquial phrases that were a combination of good and bad, then yeah, if you have, if if you have a hundred thousand emails like that, yeah, you're going to get some wonky stuff. But if you take all your emails, my guess is there's only so many instances of that. So yeah, at a a high hyper granular level, you, you may not be, you know, perfect, but I, I think you'd find that in the broad shake, when it comes to things as simple as sentiment, um, you know, a system like Watson, or you can use the APIs from like Google or Amazon or something, um, would, would very much cut the mustard for that, that kind of a basic task. But here's the thing. How do you turn that sentiment information to business value? Right, I mean, re- re- realistically, like, okay, how do you integrate that so that 
all your most angry customer service messages get forwarded to your best customer service people. Right. Well, now you got to figure out how to hook Watson up into your system. You got to see if it's financially worth doing that. Can you can you pump that data out of there to the sentiment system and then have it fed back into your Zendesk and sort it in a different way for a different person? All of these things now become complicated. So yeah, can you play today, Mike? Sure you can. Can you get business value as like a solo, non-technical person? Um, the answer would be nay. <laughs> uh, does not compute. What does nay mean? Do you mean no? Watson says he means no. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Um, that just threw me off the whole nay thing. So what can we start doing today? If we want to start leveraging AI, uh, yeah. are we just in yeah, the learning yeah, yeah. phase? Or is there actual practical applications that small okay. businesses can he, he, do? So, so in the small business world, I, I've got a, I've got a, a uh, an article that that basically sums up like where like the state of AI in small business and frankly why most small businesses are not and should not necessarily be focusing a lot of time on AI. Here's here's what people can do today though Mike that would be productive. So the answer isn't well here's a sweet tool and if you send out emails you can make twice as much money with it. I'm not there I'm not there with you right now. But but where we are is the following. Um to to become familiar with uh, the language and the value of data, sort of r roughly familiar with the concepts of what is machine learning, why is data valuable, those kinds of things could be useful, all kinds of resources on that, uh, you know, my site and otherwise. Um, to, to, uh, and most importantly, it would be the following. If, if you're a business in, let's say, you're, you're in e-commerce fashion, let's say you're in, um, you know, you're a car dealership, let's say you are uh Geez, um, let's say you have a chain of shoe stores. You sell you sell footwear. Um, the 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 ball game would be to find roughly analogous businesses that are more midsize or large. So so who who's a roughly analogous business to you know if I do fashion online, who's a roughly analogous business uh, who's who's selling fashion stuff online? And then asking the following question. Um, what is it that they seem to be using for AI related kind of tools? What is it that they seem to be using for advanced recommendations or search that seems to be garnering a positive ROI? And the good news is this, Mike, until the big or the mid-tier people in analogous businesses to you are garnering robust, consistent value from an AI application, it doesn't actually need to be on your radar mm. because the likelihood of you being able to get ahead of them is not necessary. So this might sound like a disappointing statement, Mike, mm. but I'd actually like to frame it as a positive because now you'll be the person who's not distracted by, oh, is this a shiny That's object a that could optimize actually. my emails? Is this a shiny object that could do this for me? No. The people who are, let's say, 10x, 50x above my revenue, where are they using recommendation that seems to be garnering high ROI or, or, or anything in terms of AI? When we find those, cool, now I'll, let my, now I'll allow myself to Google it, allow myself to look for solutions. But until that happens, it's damn well irrelevant for most small businesses. And, and that's kind of freeing, I think, because there's more hype around this uh, than, than there ought to be at the small business level. That's awesome. Uh, we got to start wrapping things up. I have one final question. Uh, what day uh, and what year do we hit singularity? Mm. Damn, great question. Well, that's that's what I'm most concerned with, and that's not the topic of this podcast. No, I know, but, I'm really uh, curious what you think. Yeah, it's it, oh, yeah. You know, God. All right. Well, if if you ask me, we actually did a bunch of polls on this, Mike. So I'm not giving you my opinion. Uh, but some sometime, you know, let's say 2060 ish might wow. be my ballpark. Although, although to be honest, to be honest, that that might be 
a little bit more pessimistic than a lot of people who think it'll be a little bit sooner. But wow. if, if I look at an amalgam of, let's say, the 40 PhDs that we asked that question to, with, with the kind of hump in terms of response, the biggest kind of yeah. bump in terms of timeframes yeah. is going to be in, in that in that kind of range. So fingers crossed that that goes well for us, Mike, but we got a little bit of time before it does. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And, and then some people argue we already achieved it. We just don't know it, right? Yeah, yeah, th- yes, that's an argument too. I think it's it's kind of a poetic argument. I- I'm more concerned with like when do human bodies become you know getting eviscerated and uploaded? Like that that's that's sort of when you know you can say we're in it now, but it's like, buddy, in- unless you can jack your brain into a machine, like kind of shut up. We're not. Yeah. We're not well, there like, yet. Like, well, see, that's how I I already made you. I already you don't know this, but we already transferred you. You're working for us, and you didn't even know. No! It. So I'm just saying we've already achieved singularity at least with you. Drive. <laughs> Uh, Daniel, you're still a, lot of, a lot of fun, and the insights are fascinating. It, to, to me, it's such a cerebral cool. conversation, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't have the time to hear and, and digest stuff like this. So just thank you so much for these insights. They're very impactful. Of course, yeah. I hope it saves some people some time, Mike. Thanks for having me here, Thanks, man. brother. Thanks, Daniel. All right, Kelsey. Cool. So here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, oh, oh, Daniel, are you still there? Yes, where, yes, Where I can am. people learn about you before I let you go? Oh, sure, sure, man, yeah. It's just... Uh, uh, so the, the new website is actually Emerge. So E-M-E-R-J uh, dot com is the website. It's all artificial intelligence market research. I'll also make sure, Mike, I send along the the deeper marketing thing. So if people want to know what are all the application areas in marketing, I'll, I'll zing that one along That'll to you as well. Awesome. But it's just Emerge dot com. That'd yep. be awesome. Okay. Now we'll, now we'll let you go. Perfect. All right. Cool, guys. Thanks. Bye. See you. So, Cal, Catch <laughs> we're going to recap what we learned. We're going to um, – do we have a listener mail again? Mm-hmm. Wow. I want you to ask it though, like you're my artificial intelligence assistant. Okay. Okay. Um, and then we, uh, I think that'll, that'll wrap our show. But first, let's thank our corporate partners. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You did that today. So you did that that head swing just now. So Jeremy, I'm like, I had a question for Amy. I yelled it out in my office, and Amy didn't hear me. And uh, Amy's like, "What happened?" And Kelsey's like, "She just did the head swing over there." Like Mike wants you. Um, who's our corporate partners? They are Nextiva. Love Nextiva. And? Receiving. Yeah. So who do you want to talk about? I'll talk about the other. Nextiva. Oh, my God. I love Nextiva. You picked a winner. You picked a winner. <laughs> so Nextiva is a voice over IP phone system yeah. with the best customer service. And it's just a seamless process altogether. Yeah, that's a good point. Their, their customer service is world class, super friendly, super helpful. And it's a very you know sophisticated technology, apparently. But for us, it's just plug it in. If you have a question, call them. And they set it up. For you. And they, they don't do the, oh, push this button, make sure you do this. Is that work? They're just like, all right, no. I've connected now. Yeah. All right, I'll take care of it from here. What do you want it to do? Oh, you want it, the phone to like spring up in the air and land in your hand so you can answer it? No problem. We'll program that in right now. It pops out of the yeah. phone thing and hops your hand. So I'll pick Receipt Bank. Oh, the other one. Oh. It's getting cold in here, it's isn't it? It's really cold. It's freezing in here. <laughs> At least the camera's working. Um, so Receipt Bank. Receipt Bank um, is a efficiency tool that allows you to take care of one of the most time-consuming, frustrating components of running a business and tracking receipts. You have to track them for your tax purposes and reporting purposes and just for audits and so forth. You just scan the receipts in, goes in, that's the sound effect it makes, which is kind of weird when you're at a lunch meeting and it does that, but it goes in and it's into your accounting system. It's like deja vu. What do you mean? What happened to you? We've had this exact conversation on the air before. Oh, we did? Yeah. Yeah. See, well, it, it's more than deja vu. It's the facts. If it happens twice, it has to be factual. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. It scans in all your receipts, easy access to them, great reporting tool, great efficiency tool. 
All right, Kelsey, let me hit the button. So what'd you learn today? Remember. You're up first. Okay, so this was very cerebral. But my favorite thing is that you don't have to follow the shiny objects as small business owners. You don't have to go crazy over figuring out what AI can do for you because it can't really do for you right now. So you said said it's very cerebral, but I say it's very cerebral and... um, High touch businesses are the safest yes. from AI. There's also an opportunity. It's just not here yet, right? So I think the idea for us small business owners is sit and wait. But when it comes, be the first on it. Just like any, any other technology, right. be one of the first on it. Did you hear that? Did that come across on our podcast? I wonder. That means we just had a new member join us. So. <laughs> Live on air. Uh, we have a big gong in the office. It's like these one of these huge. It's the biggest one I could find. It's probably three feet by four or four feet wide. Yeah, I would say four feet. Four feet wide and tall. It's this round thing, and it, it, the whole building shakes. We actually got complaints because we had too many members coming over because we were gonging all day. Steve, the landlord, came up. He's in an office below us and was like, "Could you stop that?" And we're like, "We can't stop it. Members are <laughs> members are joining us. What can we do?" You can't stop us. All right. So um, that's what I learned is is we have time. We have time, so that's that's a good thing. But um, pay attention; it's gonna it's gonna happen. It's gonna come. Okay. Um, do we have listener mail? We do have listener mail. Okay, so this one comes from Jacob Spencer. Hey, Jacob. He writes, "My business buys a lot of assets as at once." Oh wait, sorry. No, no, no. Let's do it a again, Kelsey. Of- oh, Kelsey <laughs> messed up, everyone. Oh, did Kelsey oh, mess? No. Oh yeah, she did. A lot of assets as one-off costs as we grow. Trailers. How can I account for this sort of spend in your instant assessment tool as it is capital, not OPEX? Yeah, so if you have capital expenditures, so I, when he says trailers, I presume these are truck trailers, right? If you have a large capital expense where you have to put a large amount of money down in a one-time instance, set up another account called CapEx. So OPEX is for your regular recurring ongoing kind of costs and capex is for these one-offs set up a capex account and start paying toward it so let's just say just for round number six a trailer cost a hundred thousand dollars i assume they don't cost that much but let's just say but say you only need a trailer once every 10 years and i don't know if that's true either then you got to save a thousand dollars a month that'd be twelve thousand a year times 10 years one hundred twenty thousand dollars saved up so you keep on putting away a thousand dollars a month into this capex account and then in 10 years you can buy it so that's how you do it mm. ah Okay. Great job. I get excited about answering people's questions. All right, Kels. Um, I think we answered a question. I think we got to start wrapping the show. Yeah. But if you guys have any questions, just email askmike at mikemichalowitz.com. And leave us, a com- <laughs> leave us a comment or rating review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, ProfitFirstPodcast.com, or any podcatcher anywhere, or YouTube. You can watch us on YouTube. Yeah, you definitely do that. And uh, just type in Mike McCallow. It's YouTube. You'll find us there. Uh, give us a review, please, on our podcast. And uh, send us a screenshot of it. And you get a free book. You guys send it to Kelsey at MikeMcCallowitz.com. Also, visit my website, which is MikeMcCallowitz.com. If you can't spell it, by the way, just go to MikeMotorBike.com. All the resources you need to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. That's our mission. It's there for you. Tons of it's for free. You can get book chapters for free. You can get... The Wall Street Journal articles I used to write, all for free. It's in our archive. Um, blog, broadcast. I say, there you go. Blog posts and podcasts, and also Surge is there for free right now. 
So, yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, I think we're good. I think we're good, too. All right, rock on. Eradicate Bye, your poverty first and do it for everyone else. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Here it comes to do it. Do it. Nice. <laughs>